0: Welcome to the Western Health Podcast, If Only Someone Had Asked, Family Violence, A Health Service Response. I'm Lucy Vandenberg, a Western Health staff member and presenter of this podcast. This series comes with a content warning. We'll be covering topics that may be distressing for people with first-hand experience of family violence or who have seen a loved one live through it. Help is available contact RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or you can see the supports listed in the show notes. We'd like to acknowledge that we have recorded this podcast on what is and always has been Aboriginal land. We now all know that terrible statistic that one in four women in Australia have experienced violence by an intimate partner since the age of 15. Worse yet, It's estimated a third of migrant and refugee women have been subjected to family violence. Consider now, there are roughly 4 million migrant and refugee women in Australia. This includes established migrant communities, who may now be Australian citizens or permanent residents, as well as women from new and emerging communities, temporary migrants, refugees, asylum seekers, as well as international students. In this episode of If Only Someone Had Asked, we meet a migrant woman who shares her harrowing experience of being subjected to years of family violence. Her story highlights some of the additional barriers that migrant and refugee women may face when it comes to staying safe and seeking help.
1: I've got lots of physical health issue, but I suppose it's because years of living under stress and years of living under threats, and you never know when that bomb is going to explode.
0: That was victim-survivor, Hong Kong-born Australian, doctor Yi Ye-Man Louie. She moved to Australia as an international student in the late 1980s and began a relationship with an Australian man, later marrying him and going on to have two children. The first time he physically abused Yi man was when she visited him in the UK where he'd moved for work. Here she describes the sudden and violent outburst.
1: I arrived and everything was hunky dory and then suddenly one evening he came home and got really upset about simple things like oh my luggage is in his way or something on that line and he then uh, picked up some object and hit me on my knee both of my knees grazed and very bruised when he calmed down and he said well we got to get you to your hospital when ye man turned up to the emergency department she was
0: injured in shock and without her family or friends. English is Yi Man's second language, and she remembers struggling to express herself and how her partner very quickly took control of the narrative. She also recalls that none of the clinical staff questioned his explanation about how she sustained her
1: injuries. So that was the first time I went to an emergency hospital in UK, and at the time I was already, I suppose, I'd put. looking back, I think I didn't say anything because I was visiting, you know, as a tourist. I was depending on him in terms of accommodation. And my English was sort of like conversational. But when it comes to like expressing your feeling and your fear, you just don't have that and have to put it in the context because when that happened, I was shocked, I was scared, I was frightened and angry. And there's all these emotions I'll have to deal with so I just let him to do the talking so he will tell the ER people say oh yeah she fell off her bike and you know that's what happened and they just talk, look at it say, all right we do an x-ray and so on and so forth so I'm kind of like not actively participating in the consultation at all but I was a very passive basically I just let people do the talking and treat me and then we go home so there's not not at any stage, they doubt what he said. Like, oh, that look a bit interesting. How did you fare off your bike? Like, both knees. <laughs> yeah, usually it would be one, wouldn't it? Like, not both. Like, but that aside, so that was my first experience with a um, medical practitioner.
0: You'll hear more from her later in this episode. I want to point out that whilst her experience is unique, unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Just like non-immigrant Australian women, migrant and refugee women report forms of violence and control from perpetrators that include physical, sexual, emotional and psychological violence. There's also violence related to pregnancy, reproductive coercion, financial abuse and controlling behaviours. But migrant and refugee women can experience additional forms of violence and control and they face particular barriers to accessing services that can help. Man says that no two migrant or refugee victim survivors will experience family violence in the same way. But she sees some commonality in how migrant and refugee women are impacted.
1: Like being threatened with, like, if you leave, you won't have custody. Uh, you lose the children. You are nobody here. No one believe you. I have a occupation. I'm a professional. I have a house. I I have. A, I'm established. You're know, not. So that intersectionality, you know, that I'm dealing with so many things at the same time. I know that domestic violence affect anyone. Could affect anyone, regardless of the social economic background and who you are. But as a migrant coming from a non English speaking background our experience could be very complex and complicated and, in a way, more marginalised and more disadvantaged. It's important to point out that women on temporary visas report
0: much higher levels of abuse that's related to their migration status. Some of the ways that perpetrators use immigration-related violence or coercion include withholding passports and other documentation, threats of deportation and visa cancellation, and threats of separating them from their children. In fact, migrant and refugee women interviewed for a study commissioned by Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, also known as ANROSE, described how visa restrictions impacted their ability to work or study. In addition, the study found that if women had no access to Centrelink or Medicare, they ended up completely dependent on their partner. Migration also led to some women feeling socially isolated which was exacerbated by not speaking English, being unable to drive, and having restricted access to education or employment. The Anrose study revealed that perpetrators of family violence further manipulated these circumstances by preventing women from socialising, learning English, and accessing support services. In our first episode, we shared research that shows that men are most often the perpetrators of violence in domestic relationships and women and children are the victims. This holds true for migrant and refugee women. The family violence is most often carried out by a current or former partner. Although some women also report multiple perpetrators with members of the extended family or in-laws also engaged in the abuse. The Anrose study heard from women who had threats made against them or family members living overseas, while others reported financial abuse and threats relating to money and assets. This was particularly the case when marriage was associated with complex financial arrangements between two families. Migrant and refugee women also face particular barriers to accessing services that can help. This can include everything from difficulty finding information about services, lack of multilingual information and limited interpreter use, potential ostracism from their cultural community, threats of deportation made by perpetrators, fear of being arrested and a strong motivation to maintain family unity. Yee Man, who you heard from earlier, knows some of these barriers all too well. She faced pressure to keep her family unit together she ended up forgiving her partner's first violent outburst, where she ended up in ED. And she remembers feeling sorry for him because he was under stress at work and living overseas, and he'd previously confided that his own father had been abusive.
1: Now I know more about family violence and domestic violence. Um, I fell in a trap of like a vicious cycle, abusive cycle. So basically what happened is the perpetrator will you experience an outburst and it will get blamed because I'm the trouble, I'm I'm making the problem. And then there'll be a honeymoon period. So they will apologize and they will be feeling sorry, come up with excuses. And then it go on and on like a repeat cycle. So I think I fell into that trap because I felt sorry for him that he's away from home as well, you know, working long hours, you know, in a country that he never visited. So there are all these like... um, Excuses conjure up So I suppose that's explained That it's so difficult to break free Because that shackle That control is, Has been there since day one And very subtly too. like not People say oh what happened I, I, I try to describe it like It is not 24-7 is bad There's also the factor of sweetness You know that after all I marry him for love but obviously, he didn't see it that way. Now I know. Because if you love someone, truly love someone, you would not hurt them. And so my starting point is because I go into this relationship Believing in love, believing in that maybe I can change him, like I'm feeling sorry for him, you know, that his upbringing maybe, that, you know, his father is also quite abusive, you know, to him, He how he described to me and to his mom. But I can't blame it because there are people who experience trauma and abuse. They don't go and become a perpetrators themselves. So I don't want to excuse any behaviours. Ye Man
0: said that after a while of being in the relationship, she no longer felt that she was herself, she'd become a yes person to protect herself and later her children. After marrying, Yee Man gave birth to her first child while living in the UK. Just weeks after welcoming their baby into the world, her husband launched
1: a terrifying attack. I think the worst experience that I had was when our firstborn was only three weeks old. Again, we just moved into our new home, and the heating was not on. It's wintertime in England, so it's a bit cold. All I asked was, can you look at the heating? And he'd gone into a rage. To my surprise, I was breastfeeding. And he picked up a chair and threw at me, but unfortunately hit our child. At the time, Man's parents were staying with them, having
0: travelled from Hong Kong to meet their new grandson. Her husband ordered them out of the home, and then he drove her and their son to the hospital. Yee Man was distraught. She feared her baby had suffered a head trauma and worried about her parents, who had little English and nowhere to stay, although they were eventually helped by a kind stranger. In the hospital, Yee Man again found clinical staff lacking in the support provided to her and her baby as victims of family violence. Then
1: also the social worker come and visit because obviously when a child got injured, they want to know what happened. So I told them what happened. And to my surprise, they already spoken to my husband. And um, they said that, oh yeah, your husband said that he felt really sorry about it. And um, he was very depressed and stressed because moving new baby, being a new father. So uh, we're going to organize um, him to see the local GP to treat his depression. And that's about it. Like, <laughs> And I was there and I thought, oh well. And then I didn't even reveal what's all those other things happening at home. So that's it. And uh, to be honest, I think because I was so concerned with my son's health and my parents, so I just couldn't even think about my own welfare or my son's welfare. And no one at any stage to explain to me, there's a thing called domestic violence, family violence. Like this is how it looked like. Are you safe? And, you know, so that's it. And then um, was discharged and... He went to see the local GP and got some proxen, uh, I think that's what's called, like um, for um, treating depression
0: and that's it. Soon after this incident, the family moved to a new home. It was something they did quite often while living in the UK. Looking back, Yee Man suspects it was a tactic her husband used to avoid scrutiny, but it also kept her from forming meaningful connections and social supports. When her son was a toddler, Yee Man's husband assaulted her again. He kicked and dragged her, only relenting when she begged him to stop so she could soothe their crying child. A few days later, a maternal and child health nurse on a home visit noticed that Yee Man was moving awkwardly. She was clearly in pain, and she urged her to visit a GP for medical attention. Although it was well-meaning advice, it was another example of a health professional missing an opportunity to ask Yiman and her son, are you safe? But Yiman took the advice. She went to see a GP to whom she disclosed the family violence. And finally, Yiman received the care, compassion and good
1: counsel that she deserved. The GP was really good because he said to me, look, from my experience, it's very difficult for them to change their behaviour he asked me, Do you have anywhere to go? I told him that I'm a migrant here, I don't have anywhere to go. So he suggests to me, why don't you go back to see your parents, to see your family with your young baby? And that sort of like planted a seed in my head so I actually um, secretly packed a bag and then one night when he went to work he worked night shift and I took off (laughs) called the cab and went to the airport and purchased a ticket and gone home he was really really upset obviously when he came home and nobody's there the baby's gone I left a note and said that I need uh, some breathing space because this clearly not working The rest is kind of like, you know, the same thing. You know, he came, he found out that I'd gone back to Hong Kong. He called. He was very um, abusive to all my family, myself. Then a few days later, he apologized profusely and go back to the same thing, blaming about too much stress at work. And then he actually promised my parents that he will find a job in Hong Kong and to learn our um, culture and to learn more about family life and I took him back and um, I think looking back, now I know more, women don't just talk off and leave and that's it. They will cut loose, like that's it, and start clean. It Often, I think the statistics were, it would take at least seven times for women to finally leave the abusive husband or the partner. There are a range of reasons. It could be financial, it could be
0: threats. Although Yee Man returned to the relationship, the consult with the GP would prove invaluable, not only because it planted a seed in Yee Man's mind about the possibility of leaving, but also because the GP documented
1: the abuse. So it was very helpful to hear someone to to tell me that, you know, you need to uh, take yourself away from this situation because it will only get worse. And he took pictures and he documented. And It's interesting, if I have not listened to the nurse to go and seek help with the GP, I would not have the evidence because years later, he tried to strangle me in bed and I told the children, I called the health centre and they said to me, you don't need a marriage counsel. You need to come in right away. Your life is in danger. And then it's set off like a motion of like, you know, court case. And I have to put my evidence forward that he has been abusive, you know, because he's fighting for custody of my children. So I think it's important when a woman have even emotional, psychological, and especially like physical injury, have it document, seek medical help. You never know when it become handy because it will become his words against your words. And without evidence, it's very difficult. So that GP really helped
0: his note. Yee Man left the relationship for good when her second child was six months old. They'd returned to Australia by then, and the abuse continued, both physically and in the form of controlling behaviours, making Yee Man believe that she was dependent on him to stay in Australia.
1: My husband, my ex-husband kept telling me that you're nobody, you know, you're just a resident, you know, you don't have any rights here. So I just believe him It's until I left and I realized that all these years that I have been living here, marrying him and I could actually apply to be a Australian citizen. I did not even know about it. It just dawned on me, one of the reasons also I stayed because I, I actually believe that what could I do like if I leave him, I probably will be kicked out of the country.
0: Man has some advice for clinical staff who may be listening to this podcast. If they are treating a woman who they suspect has experienced family violence, she urges them to remain non-judgmental and focus on building their trust.
1: Think about like, if it's your sister sitting there, if it's your mom or someone that you know, how would you? Be speaking to that person regardless of their background. So be empathetic and establish that trust and also uphold the privacy and confidentiality and assure it that nothing that you know you told me will be going out of these four walls. So whatever you say is safe. It's not gonna be going back to whoever like your mother-in-law or, you know, family or your husband or whoever took you in. Yee Man says timing is really important
0: and that if the patient has limited English, always arrange for an independent interpreter. Don't rely on her husband or another family member in order to communicate because by doing so, you may be inadvertently silencing the victim survivor and letting the perpetrator continue to wield their control.
1: Maybe pick the time when the perpetrator is not there, when they are alone, or the, please don't use the perpetrator, or, you know, if you suspect something, to use any family member to interpret. <laughs> There's a big no-no. Like, you know, even though you don't speak the language, please go through the proper channel to find, like, an independent person to translate and don't use, the worker told me, a horrific case of the women got injured and gone into the hospital and they used the husband as an interpreter. <laughs> it was like, I was like, oh my God, like, it's still happening. Yeoman has a
0: final message which goes beyond clinical staff and to society more broadly.
1: So we need to give women a voice. We need to change the narrative of, rather than asking me, why don't you leave? Why do you have children and all this sort of thing Make me feel, you know Belittle me It should be put right and square And say Why did you do that to your wife? Why did you do that to your children? You got a problem You need to sort it out And do it that way Change the whole narratives Of victim blaming And being non-judgmental Because as I said It took me a few times To take up the courage And just because of the on the other line of the phone telling me your life and your children's life is in danger. I'm pleased to report that Yiman and her children are now safe. She is a
0: successful academic conducting research into how perpetrators exploit digital technology for coercive control purposes. Yiman is also an advocate. She shares her story in the hope that it will reduce the devastating impact of family violence. Thank you to Yee Man for joining us on If Only Someone Had Asked. And thank you to our producer, Susanna Cornelius. A big thank you also to you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about family violence, please check out the show notes. And we'd also like to encourage you to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends and family to help them improve their understanding of this important issue. I'm Lucy Vandenberg. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.